G'day mates, g'day ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Guitar Wank Podcast. I am your host, you have no say in it, Troy McCubbin. Thank you for joining us, welcome to another rip-roaring, hoot-shoot-tootin'-hootin'-cootin' episode of Guitar Wank. What are we at? We're at uh, episode 182, 182. Are we going to do a, um, maybe we'll actually do something for the 200th episode. We should do a big show for the 200th episode. I really think we should do maybe a party here. Uh, we have a bunch of guests drop in. I think we should do it. I'm just throwing it out there. I think it'll be fun. Um, let's see. <laughs> let's see if we'll make the 200. We never made 100, so uh, 200, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, big happy birthdays to uh, lots of mates, pals of ours all. Big happy birthday to Scotty Henderson for yesterday. Happy birthday, mate. I know you're turning the 60-something. I don't know. You don't look a day over 89. So fantastic. Congratulations, congratulations, mate, for making it. Who'd have thought you'd make it this far in your career? Well done, mate. And he's got a new... Um, I was going to say he's got a new movie out. <laughs> Scott's doing porn. He's just released it on DVD. Now he's got a new album out, if you didn't know already. Where have you been? Scotty Henderson, People Mover. So uh, get it at your local uh, wherever. Uh, I'm sure you can get it online. Get it everywhere. It's a great album. It's Scotty Henderson at his finest. Finest? Hey, hey, hey. And... Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Check it out. He, you know, he goes all out on these albums. So, support the man. That'll be the best birthday present you can give him. Is uh, buying the album. People mover. Thank you, Scott. We're going to be playing a few more of tracks from that uh, album too. So, if you keep listening to Guitar Wank, you you probably won't have to buy the album because uh, I'll play them all here. No, not really. You got to buy the album. Go buy the album. CD. Remember CDs. I can't remember the last time I bought one. Because uh, I'm always downloading shit. Not for free. I pay for them. But I did get this one off from Scott for free. That was a gift. And he did thank me on the back. So I'm pretty... I never thought my wildest dream, Scotty Henderson, would be thanking Troy McCubbin on his CD. That is fucking hilarious. Um, and I'm very happy for it. A big happy birthday to my mate down under, Kippo, Brad Kipriotis. Mate, uh, we've been lifetime lifetime mates for a long, long, long time. And uh, he's an amazing guitarist in Sydney. Go check him out. He's got a band called Three Wise Monkeys. They're badass. And he's just an amazing guitar player, an amazing friend. Love him dearly. Happy birthday, Kippo. We nerd out constantly on guitar stuff. We hardly ever talk, but we message each other constantly about the next pedal, the next this, the next that. Have you seen this? And... Uh, we geek out all the time. So that's my geek out, mate. So happy birthday, Kippo. And uh, my birthday is tomorrow. Woohoo! Yes, I've made another milestone in my life. I wasn't going to act all coy and shy and just let you find out by yourself. I'm telling you, mate. Telling you, send all your gifts to Guitar Wank. I do accept uh, gift vouchers, money orders, um, anything you want to send. Or just a big... Troy up your bum on uh, any anywhere social is fantastic too. So um, fantastic. A big uh, thank you to all those people out there who will wish me a happy birthday. And those that don't even bother, that's fine too. Because fucking you get to this age, you don't give a shit. Just happy to make another one. So uh, fantastic. I'm actually off to see uh, Brian Setzer and the Stray Cats. 
which uh, should be lots of fun. We're a big sets of fan. Man rocks, and uh, that should be cool. All right, so this week we're going to continue on because it was Scotty's birthday. I know there's there's probably more people that I'm missing, but it's if it's your birthday too, you are among the elite. We are the elite Virgos, so uh, congratulations, happy birthday to you. I will be drinking for you and all of us uh, tomorrow, so uh, happy birthday to you too. Um, yes, we're going to continue with Scotty Henderson this week. Uh, because we had him in the other week and um, Scott's going to be taking off on tour. He's on the mend from getting his uh, his appendix. No, it wasn't his appendix. What do you have? A hernia? What do you have? Penis reduction. Or was it a titty reduction? I can't remember, but it doesn't matter because he's on the mend. He texted me the other day from his uh, on his birthday. He said he was having cake. He was in bed, relaxing, and um, he was going at the sushi, I think. So I hope you had a great day, Scotty. Uh, all right, I think that's it. Big news, we're going to be giving away the Quilter Amp. We're going to get rid of this bloody amp that's been sitting in the studio for a while now. I want to get rid of it. So does Scott and uh, Bruce, so we're going to get rid of the Quilter Amp. If you are a member on uh, Patreon, you uh, are in the running for that amplifier. So the Quilter Amplifier, bitchin' amp, weighs next to nothing, and uh, it's going to save all your back problems. So uh, check it out. Be go to guitarwank slash Patreon, I think it is, or go to our website, even better, guitarwank.com, where all the action is at the moment, ladies and gentlemen. Go there, and you can click on the Patreon um, heading, and that'll take you there and tell you all about it. So you can become a member of that, support the Guitarwank crew, keep us off the streets, and uh, hopefully we can get to our goal of uh, $300 go to Vegas and do this blog. So, who knows? Who knows? It's, uh, it's a name and it's a goal for all of us. So, go there. You'll be in the running for the uh, ramp. What else have we got going on? Bruce has got a gig tonight. He's got a gig tomorrow night in uh, Long Beach. Um, that's it. That's all the news I have. I know there's probably more. We've got Joel Taylor coming up next week again, I believe. Um, I'm going to be in New York next week. Some of that. That's it. All right. Wasted completely way too much of your time. So let's get into it. This is Scotty Henderson. Continue on last week. We had a lot of fun last week. We weren't drinking. We not be drinking. So Scott was sick. I was, I was on the water and um, I think Bruce was a tiny kid. So we had a lot of fun with alcohol. See? Struggling with alcohol, you can have fun without it too. Hey, oh, if you want to be offended, go watch Chappelle on Netflix. Man, it's brilliant. Good stand-up. Go to Chappelle. Alright, uh, nice. Thank you. And uh, we'll catch you guys all next week. Guitarwank at gmail.com.
and, and Dan has emailed me a couple times about you know how I did this or that and, and you know Dan definitely has been where, where I'm at because he makes these kind of records and good ones yep. and knows the challenges of going but day that, like that that tuning thing was probably I'd have to say almost the biggest challenge of the oh, whole it. the whole ordeal was because guitars are just out of tune right. so yeah. if you there, there's, there's certain. So moves. our basses. I mean, you're playing with a fretless bass, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. No, okay. no, he's fretted, but, but still. But so still, fretted basses are out of tune too. Yeah, but you know, there were some notes he played where you could tell that he uh, maybe vibratoed the note a little bit sharp, you know. Or, or and, just and, you know, hey yeah. man, you got a fretted instrument. That's not a perfect. Yeah, thing. no. But one of the things that I noticed a lot was not so much. The guitar being out of tune but me being out of tune as a player because in order to get from one voicing to another voicing mm -hmm. quickly mm -hmm. i would end up stretching a note like my finger would end up on the string and i might get the note but it would bend the string Just a little bit right. sharp and then every time i'd play this bloody chord it would, <laughs> it would be sharp <laughs> like there would be sharp notes in it and it would drive it's, me nuts i have to just practice. Get yourself it some manly like strings so you won't have that <laughs> Yeah, right. I just have to practice it until I got it right. Was it, hey, is there an, a song on the album where you, there was a, uh, that you can remember where it was a part, it just fucking, it took a long time to there get There were many. Were there? There were many, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were, there, were, there were things that I took for granted that I was playing live every night that I was nailing them. Yeah. But when the microphone <laughs> tells you that, hey, guess what? You're not. <laughs> you weren't. <laughs> uh, I have a few more questions. That was, yeah. thank you, Daniel. Uh, Danny, Danny, Dan, Daniel Zimmerman. Um, yeah, thank you, Dan. I reached out to Dan because I know he's a, a listener and he's a great, great player. We love his work. Um, this is another fan of uh, Mr. Scotty Henderson. And he, he says, I hope these questions aren't too stupid. First of all, People Mover is such a great album. The compositions and arrangements are incredible. The layering, layering of guitars is some of the best work I've ever heard. Scott's tone is so great. Bravo. Thank you so yeah. much. Wow. High compliments. Thank you. High compliments. And this, guy's, this guy's a plumber. So he, yeah, so he knows. <laughs> so he knows good guitar playing when he hears it. Yeah, he doesn't even play guitar. He just wrote that. He writes that about everyone's album. <laughs> so um, on primary location, which is uh, the, the second track on the album, just uh, to be uh, detailed there. Um, during Scott's solo, there are rhythmic counterpoint point parts which are very tasty. Some are sound effect parts. Panning is really, uh, really done nicely. I'm curious how these parts were conceived, Scott. That is a good question, and and I can thank Kenzie for helping me with that solo because um, that was one of those solos where it just didn't happen in the studio. Like, like, you know, you get lucky when you go in and record, and anybody that's been in a session can tell you that some tunes you can, no matter how many takes you do of a tune. It either works or it doesn't, and this solo section of this tune just did not happen. Like right. it was the only what I would consider to be a miserable failure of the <laughs> record, because I just didn't play anything that inspired the guys, and they didn't play anything that inspired me. 
So what happened with the solo is Archie pretty much grooved all the way through it and Romaine pretty much played an ostinato figure through the whole thing. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot you can do when you've got a blank palette behind you where there's nothing to play to, you know? And I'm not I'm not uh, dissing the guys at all because I feel like it was my fault. If I had played something interesting, they would have played <laughs> something interesting behind me. Right. But it just, I didn't, I just didn't have a good day on that tune in the studio. Yeah. So I asked Kenzie, I said, what do you do when this happens? And he says, I create backgrounds to play over oh, first. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I did. Nice. So I went in and I created these not chord changes, but I, I I guess in a way they're chord changes. They imply changes that aren't there. There are notes that belong like 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 uh, small intervals that imply other chords and also made some rhythmic stuff happen and some just electricity happen, you know, that yeah. it was inspiring to play to. So then I played the solo and I had a fun time jamming to this little text, these textures that I made, and they inspired me to play a pretty uh, decent solo right. at the end of the day. And that was a one-take solo oh, that nice. I played. It was yep. just like, I after I did all this stuff, I took a break, I sat down, I played over what I had created, and in one take it was done. Wow. It was like, yeah. It so was that, just a, that helped a lot. It, it, I couldn't have done it without, right. without it, because just the bass and drums were just so bland on, on that solo section, there was nothing to play to. Yeah. And again, that was my fault. Yeah. Because on most of the tunes, I played something that inspired them to play, and then therefore you ended up with a decent solo. And a lot of the solos on this record that the guys reacted to, even if I played stuff again for tone, I didn't change much. Yeah. You know, because what went down in the studio went down in the studio, and I had to keep it the same because they played to play, it. Played to it, yeah. So yep. I can't change it. Yeah, you can change a little bits, like you can fix mistakes. Yeah, you know, or you might change one note for another note. Yeah, but you you've got to keep the 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 shape and the uh, the rhythms the same. Otherwise, it, the guys don't sound like they're they're they're, playing, made, they're playing with me at all. So, and then you could blame them more. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> there were there were a few tribal tech moments before I knew enough to know that you don't do that <laughs> and I went in and just played a completely different <laughs> solo like like had nothing to do with with the solo that I played originally yeah and I was playing like whole notes really high whole notes <laughs> while the drummer was playing these really rhythmic figures just made him sound like a complete idiot <laughs> and then finally you know i learned and, and i go oh my god what did i just do you know i mean it would have better been better off keeping the solo that i had even though it sucked at least it was played for real with the other guys and it sounded like a real solo instead of some bullshit i love that so similar similar to the first question what um what the process uh, used to create the different guitar parts. Does Scott hear the parts in his head before you're recording them? Or, um, or, or are the more of a byproduct of playing along with the tracks and, and trying to find a pocket and space uh, for them? That's another good question. Well, it depends on the tune. When I compose some of this music 
and I knew that the song was done, like as far as what I was going to play live was yep. done, yep. I had more time, and my mind went up to the time that I was going to actually do the record, and I actually composed parts that were under the main part for color. Yeah. So that could be like either adding extra notes to make chords more dense and give them more harmony, like adding more extensions to a chord. Yeah. It could be creating a background line to make the uh, voice leading of the chords more defined, or it could be adding sound effects for colors. Yeah. And some of that was done during the time of the actual composition, but just not used on stage, just not used until we did the record. They're just sort of like on the back burner in my composition sequence. And I knew that sooner or later I was going to record that stuff. Yeah. But on other tunes, I didn't have that kind of time. So what I ended up composing was exactly what I played on stage. And then when it came time to do the overdubs, I was overdubbing and composing at the same time. So like right. if I heard something in my head that I thought would fit and not be like, you know, it's a hard. It's hard to know, you know, when any kind of art is finished because you don't want to overproduce it, but at the same time, you don't want to leave out something that could be really great. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it takes a little time to come to the realization that it's done. So if you take a couple weeks off and come back and listen to it with fresh ears, and sometimes my mind would tell me this sounds empty. This 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 is begging for something to be here. I don't know what, but. There are two ways you can approach it, and you could either like say uh, just play and jam over the tune, which is what I did a lot. You know, jam over my original guitar right. and just and record that. Record it, right? And then and until I came up, because you know, always the best stuff comes from improvising. Even when you're writing, the best yeah. stuff comes yeah. from when you're improvising, and you never know when you're going to do something that ends up being a cool idea for a tune. Yeah. So the same thing when you're overdubbing. Um, just playing and jamming along until I hear something that really fits nicely with what I did and just it's on tape so now I can define it a little more or, or just you know make it a little more refined if I want to find a sound for it and then another way that I found a lot of fun was I bought a shitload of new pedals right and what I would do is is um, I mean with any pedal you've got in, in the in the time that you're playing with it, you come up with 89 completely boring sounds and 11 really amazing ones, right? Yeah, yeah. So you wait until you find the best thing that that pedal can do. You know, the crazy ass, you know, the most wonderful thing that pedal can do. And you go, what tune would this fit in? Mm. You know, this particular sound, what tune could I put this in? And you listen to all the tunes and you might hear a spot for that particular thing that this pedal is doing right now because it usually involves a loop. Yeah. You know, there's some loop going on and and it's and it's it's making some kind of random bullshit happen and you're going, "Where would this fit?" and then you find a place find for it a to place. fit. Yeah. And that's it. It's all really good ideas there. Um, the layers of melodies and chord voicings are constructed in such an intelligent way. I think this person, you paid him to, to Yeah, I must have. I, I don't know how much I paid him, but I guess a lot, probably. <laughs> the chords sound li like one guitar, but they aren't if you try and dis deconstruct them. Any process formula used there, for example, finding the best locations and intervals, 
trial and error, or is it the some well, same? Thing? It's all trial and error. But one of the things that I like to do, and one of the things that I would like, I'm, I'm hoping someday to be remembered as a person who came up with a unique style of of playing chords, because um, you know there's so many guys that play chords, but my thing is open strings and with distortion. And I don't know anybody else right now that's doing this, like what I've done on the last three albums, which is basically play distor somewhat distorted chords and use a lot of open, open strings, strings in the voicings because in a way it's like Alan, because Alan played a lot of clustery voicings by stretching yeah. his fingers. Yeah. Mine sound a little bit more jangly and open because those open strings give the guitar kind of a bigger sound. Yeah. So anytime, any, that's the main thing I've discovered is that the more open strings you play, the bigger the trio sounds. There's a jangle, there's a kind of an open, yeah. big sound with open strings. Yeah. So even if a chord didn't have an open string in it, I figure out how to get one in there to add to the, either, either to the quality of the chord that's there already, or change the quality of the chord and sometimes the change of the quality of the chord is what I like right because I've been hearing it as this and then I realize oh you know what I like it better as this so there's a lot of chords that have both the six and the natural six I mean both the flat six and the natural six both the seven and the flat seven both the major third and the minor third or the third and the fourth in oh, the wow. same chord right and that's sort of like this thing that I'm really enjoying is by putting this tension in there with the open strings, you still get the you still get the feeling that it's a major chord even though it has a fourth in it, or even though it has a flat six in it. You still get the feeling that it's major, but it adds just that little that bit little of tension, tension that makes it that tweaks it a little bit. Right. And I love that. Uh, that's that's then one of my. Then you put it next to each other as a half step, or do you separate them by? I mean, it, I guess it's just whatever happens. You know, like like sometimes it ends up being, <laughs> however it justifies itself to do oh, it. Oh, sorry, I'm off um, mic. I imagine people hear oh. that. But um, yeah, you know that voicing where where like say if you played a a a, a D on the B string and an F sharp on the D string and left the open G, right? So which would be C major seven sharp 11 in, in one way, but would also be a D major chord with a fourth added to it in another way, right? right. You know, and, and when you start, one of the things about that I was explaining to a interviewer in Japan, he was asking me, kind of an interesting question about how much do you really know what you're doing? How much of this music do you actually, can you justify it by traditional music theory? And my answer was kind of none, because you have to sort of throw the theory book out the window, because a lot of these chords, I have no idea what they are, because I don't even know what the bass note is, because the bass note is being played on the keyboard later. Mm. You know, yeah. so as the bass note changes, the quality of the chord changes, right. and I have no idea what it's become. Right. It, it became something different than it started. So I'm not in the habit, or why would anyone want to be in the habit of analyzing your song while you're writing it? 
like that's for after you know like you transcribe the song and then you find out okay I see what I did here I went from a ma A major 7 sharp 11 to a B minor flat 6 you know whatever and then you can try to come up with reasons why right and there usually are none anyway because it's just the sounds but isn't it like a lot of the times you just you're going from one place to another and all this shit in, the, in, in between sometimes doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. It all happens so fast. Fast, right. I mean, when you... I guess when I went to jazz composition classes, when I, you know, I did attend some of that in college, one of the things I guess I learned was that the things that you think about and think are very important happen just in a split second for the listener. So like, you know, for, for example, in Anna Maria, Wayne Shorter, where he's going from a melody note over a, an F over a G, you know, a G sus chord, to a D flat chord, which has no business being there. It has mm. nothing to do with the, with the diatonic elements of what's going on in the tune at that moment. Why did he go there? Because it sounded good, and right. because it was cool. <laughs> you know, right. there doesn't have to be a theory reason for it. It just he heard that chord and thought that's a cool place to go. If you cut that slice open and look at it with a microscope, it's th about the crazy ass place that you could ever go in the universe. But when you listen to it in a broader perspective, it it's not dissonant at all. Right, it's, it works. It's, it, it works. You know. Because it happens in such a, a short time, and by the time it's happened, you've forgotten about it already, and it's just a beautiful modulation. Mm. You know, so it taught me to be a lot less conservative with my writing, that I didn't necessarily have to have ju theoretical justification to go here or there. You know, you just go where your ear takes you. Right. Just, you're more free. Yeah. But, but the point was, is that the original question, you know, my point was that when, when I'm writing or when anybody's writing by ear, I think you pretty much throw the rule book out and don't even think about what the movement um, is doing in a theory way, like in, a, in a, any kind of a intellectual way. Because all you care about is does it sound good or doesn't it? That's the bottom line. Yeah, if yeah. it sounds good, it's good. If it doesn't sound good, it's not good. Yeah. But what's interesting and the way I answered this guy's question is that when you later transcribe it, because when I did this play-along version, I had to write charts for all the tunes. Oh, yeah, right. So in order to be uh, helpful as I could, I didn't want to just leave stacks of voicings for people to sort through, you know, because most guitar players and most people that are trained in any kind of jazz theory, they want to see chord symbols because it helps them to understand what's actually going on. Mm. So instead of just seeing a stack of notes, if I could write C major seven, or C major seven sharp 11, that helps them to define that chord and makes them understand why those <coughs> notes are there, right? right. Yep. So there were a lot of times where I would have to write something like C major seven, add flat nine, add flat six. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like, okay, I think that would actually help some people because they would actually see that, okay, the base of this chord is a major seven and there's that flat six and there's that flat nine. And though maybe it doesn't make any goddamn sense, <laughs> it it's what that section of the music needed. So right. that's why it's there. 
It, it's not for any other reason but because the composer was smoking too much weed and thought it sounded good. <laughs> Did you well, that, no, that's just a bit of a D-flat flat triad superimposed into yeah, the Yeah, scene. and you could look at it that way, too, sure. You, I could have written it as... Uh, I like mean, usually, you know, you you know, know it depends on what you did with the F, of course. Yeah. But, you know. but a lot of times, like, you know, in traditional theory, you're supposed to have a seventh before you can call it a ninth, right? Well, of course. So, so, but, of, of course, a lot of times, since the guitar is limited to the amount of notes you can play, a lot of those notes are missing. So it's like, how come you're calling the C major 7th when it doesn't have a third in it, when there's no E? Like, you're calling, a C, calling it a C major 7th, but it has no E. Why? Because to me, it sounds like a goddamn C major 7th. <laughs> but it ain't. It ain't, but right. it sounds like one, so that's what I called it. All right, let's go. Good, good stuff. That was a boring conversation. Well, you know, you, you went know. there. <laughs> I went there, man. I just went there. All right, I went um, the theory, okay, a bit of recording question here. For the re guitar recording, are the delays and reverb reverbs bust to an auxiliary send? Yes. I assume so, which is on Scott's guitar strip. Yes, because if you don't do that, then you then you can't control the different amounts of reverb you want to send to each part, and also you can, you can only have one reverb for. Um, Alan is a big. Uh, he likes to put different reverbs on different guitar parts. Oh, he does. Yeah. Now I. I yeah. Now question. For, oh, sorry. I always saw it like beautifully said. <laughs> I always thought, like, for reverb, like, keep it all the same reverb so it feels like you're playing, like, it's... In a room, well, naturally. If it's, well, if it's one guitar, yeah. I mean, like, the main guitar would have one reverb on Right. But if it's a crazy sound and that you don't want to put it in the same reverb because then it makes it sound too much like, and it's a completely different layer, then maybe you put it in a room reverb that's really short that so it sounds like it's coming from a completely different place. Right. Just like Jimmy Page did. Right. Not not so much with reverbs, but if like he recorded <coughs> one guitar part in a very dry room with the mic right on the speaker and then recorded another guitar part where the mic is clear across the room and you get all this ambience with the sound, then it would help separate it from the other guitar part because they sound so And that's that's different. how he would layer the parts. Yeah. Right. And Alan is a big believer in that. He wants not only the, the the different guitar parts to have different tones, but also ambience. Right. So so you know yeah. it, it helps yeah. to further separate it, and of course the panning helps. Was was Alan EQing a lot of stuff or not? He was, man. Alan is a genius. Like I am so glad that that uh, that I had him because man, I thought okay, I'm an, I'm this big expert on recording guitars. I only need him for the bass and drums. That's <laughs> bullshit, man. Right. Because he heard a lot of my guitar parts and he'd go, he'd go, nope, that's weird. Like, that's, <laughs> like I was trying to get this sound on Fawn, on the last tune on the record. Yeah. That was kind of a hard one because there's no bass and, I mean, there's no uh, cymbals and drums. So the guitar is very exposed. So I had to make it sound big and and smooth and and I had it EQ'd completely wrong and Alan said no man you're cutting the wrong frequencies and I went oh because I was cutting 1k right and he was going no no you don't want to cut 1k oh, yeah. don't fuck with so 1K. so he said put 1k flat 
and I don't remember what he cut. It was somewhere around 500, maybe, or, or something around there. Right. And all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, this sounds so good. Why didn't I know to do that? And he said, because you're an idiot. Because <laughs> you're not an engineer. <laughs> yeah, well, at least we should have Alan on the show. Yeah, I mean, Alan is amazing. He just hears things that I don't hear. I mean, he's right. a real engineer. Like, he... He even speaks in like you don't want this. Ah, you want all, not ah. Oh, you want all? You want all? Ah. Yeah, he he, ah. he yeah he says that's all. You don't get rid of that all. You want this e. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 he knows what knobs to turn to make that happen. <laughs> Yeah, you know my my wife my man, wife man. said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he must be great on a date, right? Yeah, he's awesome on a date, man. Who's but the, he's, he's amazing, man. We should have him on the show. We got to get him on the show. Such a great engineer. Who's who's the voice on Blue Moon? Oh, that's Kathy Bates, and there and there's uh, the actress. Yeah, that's a little sample from uh, oh. from uh, Roanoke. American Horror Story, ah. and and also my my favorite farting preacher Robert Tilton is on there speaking in tongues, a little bit. <laughs> um, that guy. Here's a question: um, What's the pro- process for writing? Does they do you hear the melody first, the chord? Uh, do you write the chord progressions down? Like what? How does Scott? How do you approach a tune? A I, tune, I, Scott. I, 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 do you jam it out? I kind of hear it all at once. I think most people that can halfway sing, I'm not talking about singing like Beyonce, because I sure can't, right. but you know, if you if you play chords on the guitar while you're singing a melody, often the Do you notes, record that? Yeah. You do? Yeah. And often often the notes that you sing will, off, will influence the next chord that you play, and often that chord will influence what you sing next, or you know... Or even if you're recording, like, say, two separate guitar parts, um, a chord may influence what you play next for the melody, and that that piece of the melody may inspire you to move to a different harmony. So I, I kind of like to do it at, at once. I, I don't like to write myself into a corner or paint myself into a corner by writing one big chord progression or one big melody and then try to squeeze the harmony into fit with that melody because it's kind of painting yourself into a corner. Right. You know, so if you leave yourself free for all these options to happen, for me, that's more productive. And, of course, I can't speak for everybody because everybody probably does it a different way. That's just what kind of works for me. Um, I'm sure everybody has their own little niche that they get into when they compose, and whatever works is... If it works, stick right, with it. Sticks with it. Yeah. yeah, but that's kind of that's kind of the way I approach it. Um, those questions come from our lovely, intelligent friend, Mr. Les Thomas. Oh, Les, man. Les, yeah. yeah. Good on you, Les. Fucking legend. Thanks, Les. Great man, great player himself, and a recording, bit of a recording guru nowadays, right, Bruce? Yeah. He's becoming that. Les, you're gonna have to come down and do a recording guitar wank. Is hey. he, when you say that, he's doing a lot of recording at home, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, get, studio. he's, yeah. Right yeah. Into it. he's really yeah. into it. Yeah. He actually gave me some really, passed on some great um, plugins when I was mixing. Yeah, you know, um, man, those Sound Toys plugins are so incredible. They're good, yeah. They're so good, and it's so much bang for the buck. It's just ridiculous. I, I think 
I got them on sale, and I think I paid two hundred sixty-five bucks. I got the same the deal. Yeah. Library. Awesome, right? They're amazing. Just Echo Boy alone has so many beautiful textures and sounds that that I wouldn't even uh, consider to be like echo oriented. They're just great sound great, effects and really and, cool uh, stuff. Yeah, you think for all the work that they did that they would charge more, but please don't. <laughs> it's such an incredible deal. It's like buying a thousand pedals. What um got a question for you. What was the inspiration behind Blue Moon and are you gonna be sued for that title? Oh Blood Moon. Oh, it's a Blood Moon. I want oh, to put Blood uh, Moon. You, no, no, I mean I don't think so. No, I don't I'm joking. think you, you can Blood yeah, what's the the inspiration Actually, behind Blood that, Moon? That's not even a title because the, the, the season on the T V show was American Horror Story and the season was called Roanoke and they just happened to mention that most of the killing happens during the, the time of the blood moon, which is a certain when the moon turns red. Yeah, that's yeah. The blood moon. So you that's when the spirits come out and start doing all their evil shit. So this is for, you're getting inspired by watching your your TV shows. Well, this particular show, uh, which we just got into show? watching American Horror Story. Oh yeah. Like we've seen all the seasons. We've right. seen every single one. <laughs> So that's where that one comes from. They're all fun, yeah. They're all they're all really campy, but they're fun. And it starts out like a, a bit of a spaghetti western feel, and then morphs into more of a Blade Runner futuristic vibe, right? I I don't know. That's what this 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 question is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I have no idea how to describe that one. That's kind of one of those novelty tunes. It's 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 a little bit different than the rest. Third question: Can he give me some insight into the in, inside into the song "Satellite"? That was a hard one um, because it's all implied harmony. It's it's if you heard that that tune with the chords, it's a little bit surprising because it's a bit more traditional than you would think it is. If were the you, chords were there, that's why I didn't put them there. Were you tipping your hat to some of the? Jazz tradition? Not well. I mean, I guess in a way because the changes are pretty normal. They're right. they're they're uh, they're like sort of like half modal, half bebop. Right. So there's a little bit of both things going on. You know, the, the, there's. I mean, I'd say bebop just because there's a few five ones in the progression. So when you play, anytime you play over a five one, it kind of tends to sound like you're playing bebop. Because that's such a common, you know, progression to play over in the bebop world, but at the same time, there are other changes that are more modal, that are a little bit more <coughs> wainish, I guess. Right. You know, um, but the beauty of it is that there are no chords, and so you don't get to hear them, which I think gives it a more modern sound by just eliminating the chords completely. So I thought, because I didn't like the way it sounded with the chords. Right. I thought it sounded too normal with the chords, so I just got rid of it and just made it a linear piece, which I thought helped make it sound more modern. Did you send yeah. this to Wayne Shorter? No, why would I do that? Just <laughs> so he, Did you send it to so Benson? So would say, yeah, shitty writing there, Scott. Did you <laughs> send job. it to Benson? <laughs> no. But I, but I did send it to some of my, uh, I sent it to Bruce, <laughs> and I sent it to uh, some other jazz, uh, you know, uh, Bebop guitar players that don't seem to hate it. So Bruce know. Bruce called me and he was like, "Dude, you gotta listen to Scott's album. It's fucking you know, amazing." I, I when I played that solo, um, 
I intended to use the song tag that I had ordered from, from yeah. Stefan, yep. but it didn't arrive in time for me to play that song. So I so I rented a um, a D'Angelico from True Tone Music. Did you like it? Well, it was a lot harder to play than the Sontag because the right. Sontag Sontag plays like butter. How are you liking it? I love that. We're gonna compare. I'd like I to see it. what it happens. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, um, I want to see what he thinks of it compared to it's his. It's a great guitar. It sounds wonderful and it plays really easy as opposed to the D'Angelico, which came from the music store, which hadn't been set up. Uh, and the action okay. was really, really high, and um, it wasn't very comfortable to play. But I don't think it sounds bad. I mean, I, do you think? Do you think the tone of it sounds okay? Oh, it sounded great, man. You know, I didn't. You know, I mean, I'm sure an L5 sounds better. I don't know. know. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't even. I'm not one of those guys that says, like, I, I, I can't recall the last time I listened to music and said, boy, this would sound better if this happened. Yeah, yeah, you don't usually I mean, say that. You know, like, you don't usually say that I, I'm, I'm, a wor I'm worthless. I'm just worthless because, like, for instance, before one of my records, I got together with the producer and we listened to a bunch of records, you know, to, like, get an idea for what sound we were going for. Mm-hmm. When the records came on and the guys were playing great and the music was inspired, it sounded beautiful to me. And when it was just wasn't, it sounded like shit to yeah. me. You know, <laughs> I mean, pretty it, much the bottom line. And, 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 and to be honest with you, I, I could sit and say, like, well, this was well produced, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't spend 10 minutes, 10 seconds really wanting to listen mm -hmm. to it. You know, I mean, one of the worst, I think, tone recordings of all time is one of the best records of all time which is the incredible jazz guitar Wes Montgomery mm -hmm. I think he gets one of his worst tones ever there the band is recorded really horribly mm -hmm. Doesn't, sounds like they can't hear, almost hear each other you know I mean and yet the playing is so inspired and so brilliant yeah. that it's like I can't think of anything I'd rather listen to yeah, well, that's that's the main. So, thing. so for me, sure. you know, I mean, and then and I don't go in the next step and go, well, what if he? I think West was playing a one seventy five on that record. No, I don't no. think he was even playing an L five. Your, your microphone. Oh. And um, I, I, has it been gone for a long time? <laughs> yes. Uh oh. I'll fix it in the mix. <laughs> I hope so. Fuck. What does it look like? <laughs> we, we did it. <laughs> We when did an interview with Scott. That is a really him. bad interview. Uh, turn on his mic, please. But anyways, I mean, I don't really know for a fact that that's the case. But um, it's a really not great recording quality. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean. But as long as you like the notes. That's but I mean, matters, no, it's man. so. Hey, look, 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 quick, 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 quick. Layla guitar sells for one million. And it's and it's a gold top Les Paul. Wow. Alexa, whose gold top Les Paul is that? Here's something I found from the article Gibson Les Paul on Wikipedia. Oh, for fuck's sake! She, no, the Layla guitar. Say Layla guitar sells for Alexa, a million. Alexa, Layla guitar. Thanks for the feedback. <laughs> she doesn't understand. Hey, Alexa, go lay a guitar. The guitar used by Dwayne Alderon Madera. There it is. Hit Layla has sold at auction for one million dollars. 
Rolling Stone reports the 1957 Gibson Les Paul Gold Top was also used on two Allman Brothers albums. Allman swapped the guitar with musician Rick Stein shortly after recording Layla, earning a 1959 Cherry Sunburst Les Paul in exchange. Right. So he liked the Cherry. Mm. You know, bitch Robin, Robin plays one like that too, although he's got mm -hmm. humbuckers in it. It's, I think it's the same year too. Well, one, Robin? Yeah. No, and I saw him. He's playing exclusively a gold, old gold top from the fifties. Mm -hmm. It's a nice guitar. Bet wow. it sounds a lot better than my nineties Les Paul. I'm sure. Damn. But one thing I again, did notice, that guy playing anything would sound great. You know, yeah, what I mean, I, I give him an Epiphone Les Paul. He'd sound. He'd still great. sound great. Yeah. One thing I did notice about that D'Angelico though is it talk about out of tune. Like, there's no way you can. Get it well, acoustic guitars yeah, it was, generally it was give really you problems, out. you know. Like a lot I mean, of the chords that I played up high are so completely out, but I just left them because there's nothing you can do about it. So not like you can intonate each string. Yeah. So it is what it is, you know. But it, yeah, you know. It, but well, you know what? It, it did its job. And yeah. for a $600 guitar, I didn't know that D'Angelico made guitars that were as cheap as 600 bucks. Wow. Well, you see, well, you've been kind of living... In prison for a long time. Yeah, so. I, I guess. But I no, and D'Angelico, I, I don't know if you really know the story expensive. about them, but they rebranded, you know, they, they were over in Japan uh -huh. for years, and they were good guitars, and, you know, ex not expensive, but not cheap. And then I guess either they sold the name or the guy lost the, you know, the the patent or whatever mm -hmm. it is on the name and mm -hmm. they got it back and they started making them in Korea and a real bunch of really great guys because I see them at the NAMM show mm -hmm. and I, I, I think very highly of these guys they're doing a whole thing about trying to get good guitars of it and, it and a good price range into a lot of people's hands mm -hmm. Russell Malone actually is one of their endorsers uh huh um Although it doesn't sound like he's playing one right now, but I know he takes it on the road. Uh, a lot of my students who have gone on to great careers kind of got in with them. I mean, they're really aggressive. They make mm -hmm. I, I've played their guitars, like yours, and you know, and for the price point, they're really good. They were also for a second. They hired. I'm pretty sure it was Victor Bailey, or it could have been somebody like that, a real good high-end New York luthier. Mm-hmm. And somebody will not Victor Bailey, the bass player. Another oh shit, Victor Victor, <laughs> Victor Baker, uh, but it might not have been Victor. It might have been some other great luthier in New York to actually make these high end ones that oh, they would I see. sell. Uh huh. Um, I think that kind of fizzled out. But they're really aggressive, and like Bob Weir plays one now, and, mm -hmm. and they're making good guitars at a good price. Uh, not just the hollow bodies like you saw, but also semi-hollow and solid, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Kurt Rosenwinkel's playing one. Mm -hmm. And they they just really kind of did the right, the way you would do it if, if one of us kind of ran a company and said, mm -hmm. here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of like take this legacy brand and we're going to kind of update it, but we're going to provide really good inexpensive instruments to people but also really treat the artists well you know all that kind of stuff cool i mean i, I really I mean I highly suggest when you go to the nam show this year go up and visit the guys they're really nice i discussed maybe even an endorsement in the early days mm -hmm. and just didn't just didn't see it you know i'm okay mm -hmm. i don't you know i don't want to work for a company well you know so, like like i discussed with uh stefan 
because he he really wanted that guitar to be on the record but in hindsight the d'angelico was actually better for this particular tune because it had humbucking and and uh like i used the red guitar on vibe station on this tune chelsea bridge yeah. because the guys were playing really light behind me and just basically playing whole notes and just basically the drummer alan was just playing a cymbal pretty much so that left a lot of airspace for the guitar and the single coil sounded great that's one of the reasons i loved it so right. much because it sounded so different but on this tune the drums and bass are kind of slamming mm. like you know loud electric bass and drums playing all you know all of his toms and everything and i don't think the single coil pickup would have been have, right i mean for, again for this, it's up to you know what you're tune. looking for you know the difference way better than me but um I, I, you know, I got rid of the single coil. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go to have a humbucking that I can split to a single coil and right. have the best of both worlds. I think that's, that's kind of, and I'm very do. happy with that. Yeah. And and for a while, I was just using single coil, particularly with uh, Danielle when I was playing mm -hmm. solo with the singer. But lately, I've found myself more back in the. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. and it's such a small difference. Sure. Man. Really, I mean, to me, I, I to me, it's a big difference. But I know like to the world it's just it's, you get more fatness and creaminess with the humbucker you mm -hmm. get more clarity right with but you know but still with that guitar like that that's so acoustic boy i love you the get guitars. tons of a clarity it's such and, and, a beautiful and, instrument. and it really plays Amazing. and like like you were talking about that chord stuff you know well i don't have any problem pulling out what note i want to be mm -hmm. louder but again I do that all that all day long. Mm -hmm. That's all I do. So, like, for me to be able to dial in what notes inside the chord I'm gonna—that's, mm -hmm. I guess, what you could say is my style. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it, but it, it, the clarity of that guitar versus my L5, which is just as big as a, you know, railroad yeah. train, yeah, which is beautiful, and I do miss it because I just did a stint where I had to submit a million YouTubes of my past to somebody because mm -hmm. they were going to feature me on a thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, let's shout out to Jack Zucker and the, uh, what is it called, the Jazz Guitar? Oh, yeah, we were both guitar. Artists of the Week right, right. on the, on the right. yeah, and thank you so much for that. Yeah, he's such a great guy. Yeah, and that was really He really nice. is committed. I mean, that guy yeah. really follows through. But uh, he made me send him like 10 YouTubes to pick from. You know, mm -hmm. you, got, and, you guys were both, both artists of the week on the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Like we, oh. we there was a week between in between where no, there was um, a few weeks. I mean, it was a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. but um, I just did it, and his was yeah. a couple months ago. Mine, mine was about a month ago. Yeah, we should have him on the show. And, um, I'd love to. He's yeah. just on the east coast. So. Oh, okay. but um, he's I, I, he knows he's welcome. Um, yeah, awesome. It'd be great to hear him talk about how you build a you know website like that and keep a, a community yeah, like it's a that. cool community because I've, I've since i was on it and i wasn't on it before but since i've been on it now i get their 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 news feed and there's a lot of really interesting stuff right yeah yeah it's great you know, to, to, it's to called to uh, modern it jazz guitar oh modern yeah. jazz guitar yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. a lot yeah, of cool and, stuff and, but 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 back to my point is like i went and had to like go through my whole career and i just wanted to find like 10 things you know through the years that I played, and of course I ended up listening to all these different guitars that I mm -hmm. played over the year. 
And while we're the L5, it's just such a big, buttery, beautiful thing. You know, it sure is. It's a great um, sound. I've heard you played that with Cowbop. Yeah. And I mean, there's not many guitars that could make a, a band sound that big at a small volume that you yeah. guys played. That guitar is just monstrous sounding. You know, yeah. it just has yet, such a huge and sound. And yet, you know, it's not clear. Not as clear as the Sontag, right. but but in that band you didn't you want you want ballsy more yeah. than clear. Yeah. So well, that was really cool. You but know? then it didn't have the acoustic punch either. I, I mean, like you, no, you, I like what it had and I like what it didn't. You know, <laughs> course, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to maybe talk myself into the red guitar. I think uh, but you'd be playing both. At the no, same I, li time. I liked it when you would you know play these. You know, it would, it, it would get loud and then you would hit a chord too hard and the and the amp would be kind of blowing would up. Would die. And, would die. And, yeah, yeah, but it was the. It it fit the nature of the band, and yeah. that's what I liked about it because it fit that band, and it was really the best tone for that band you p po could have possibly had. So you know, all hail the the L five for that. Yeah, gig yeah. For I mean, sure. well, I, we've got some gigs coming out. I'm going to try using the red yeah. guitar and see what it does. Yeah, you know? I would love to come to those. I haven't seen that that band play in such a long time. Yeah, when's It'd be the really next fun? Well, we, we, down here. Ooh, oh, uh, that will be next year. Oh, well. In May. Yep. We, that's we, you know we, we keep trying to put the cow out to pasture, but people keep reeling it back in you know? <laughs> with a fishing rod. <laughs> you know they got to milk a cow it. Again. They, they got to milk the cow again. Okay, well, well let's go for it. Uh, great. Anyways, man. but uh, yeah. So I mean, the Angelicos are great. I mean, a lot of people are making great guitars, but you know, what we need is more great guitar players. Well, there's a shitload of them. Really? Yeah, they're out there, but we just—I just don't. Great. Think. That's good. Well, you know one thing I found that was really fun, man, playing that D'Angelico for whatever it's worth. You know, was just no matter how hard it was to play, and no matter how high the action was, and how much it hurt my hand, it was still easier than playing a goddamn Strat with distortion. I'm telling you, it's just like so many worries off my back, you know, like, like just, it, it's just so nice to plug a guitar into the amp and not have to worry about all this bullshit that you have to worry about when, that rock guitar players worry about, you know, that's why rock guitar players are so fucking fucked up because they're always worried about their tone all the time and, and oh shit, just put the finger here and it sounds like shit but you put the finger here and it sounds amazing <laughs> and and when you have one of those great hollow body guitars and you just plug it right into the amp and you just play and it's just so friendly you know <laughs> it's just like you play the note that's the note you get right and it's not and you don't it, it's just a big bunch of worry off your back when's the, the death of thing bruce Oh, thank you. Great, great, great segue. Uh, great segue. That's uh, Denver, it is September 20th and 21st, or 21st and 22nd, whatever the Saturday, Sunday is. Um, Bruce will be there. I will be there. It's the it's the September 21st and 22nd. What's it, what's it called? It's called the Rocky Mountain Archtop Festival. And... Um, <laughs> No, and, and, and it's, bounced, it's sponsored by our great friends at Henriksen Amps, the guys who make the Bud and the Jazz Amp, which, which I am just 
really so enthralled by the new 10-inch version of. I mean, I, I love the 6 because, of course, it's made my life easy and it sounds great. But the 10 is like a million times more open wow. and only about three pounds more. Again with the... the There's these fucking guys. How, I mean, you heard it last night. I, so. Yeah, it did sound really good. The so, light looked good, too. Yeah, and so um, <laughs> the, uh, the festival is a really fun festival. It's right... There in in a, a suburb of Denver called Arvada or Arvada, and um, and what's going to happen is is there's going to be a bunch of guys who make archtop guitars. Stefan's coming; mm-hmm. he's going to be there. But there's going to be like you know all these different guys, Tom Rebecki and and all these guys, uh, Danny Keentop, everybody. They're all going to be there and. They're going to be displaying their guitars, and a lot of guitar players are going to be there. Bobby Broom and Corey Chris Jensen and Jimmy Bruno and myself and like 40 other guys are going to be there. Mark Goldenberg's going to be there, and um, and what's going to happen is there'll be like an exhibit hall where the guys show their wares, and there will be a workshop hall where all of us will do workshops. And there will be an exhibit hall where, like, some of us will, you know, play the instruments that the guys brought, you know, to show them off. And then there will be concerts at night where we all play. I mean, just a fun two-day extravaganza. And it's amazing. And it's really cheap. And, you know, you got to go to Denver. And you probably want to get a hotel room right in the hotel that it's happening in. But there's other options, Airbnb. No, this is the first one. Oh, wow. So imagine you'll be getting, getting your hands on a lot of different guitars. That yeah, you? yeah. I already, um, I'm the bitch for two companies already. Two? Who are they? Well, it's Stefan, of yeah. course. And then Otto D'Ambrosio is a builder. And I think he works with Eastman. And he just called me up and he was a nice kid. And he said, hey, man, I'd really love it if you'd help me out and play my guitars for, I don't know, like 20 minutes or whatever it is. You know, just to demonstrate his guitars, um, what they can do. And so I'll be happy to do it. And if anybody else asks me, I'll be happy to do it because I, I just want to celebrate this whole beauty of these instruments and the people playing them. And if anybody wants my help, I want to be there. But more importantly, I'd like to really encourage the listeners, think about this. I mean, you'll get workshops, concerts, and real, you know, like to meet all these builders and play all these instruments. And shitloads of fun and hanging, you yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be great, and and su- and supporting. I don't know how we're supporting Peter because he's just putting it on. I mean, but there's this guy who, like, you know, as you know, like I told him there was a good uh, club in New York, great club called oh, yeah. Mesro, yeah, and I and I said, hey man, they don't have a good guitar amp, and he says, oh, where? What's the address? And now they've got a great guitar amp for all the guitar players who play at this club. So what's the difference between this amp you're talking about and the amp that you were talking about, I don't know, a long time ago that you that I tried at my house? And it was another Class D amp that you were using for a while and you guys were talking about The Quilter? Them? Was that the Quilter? Quilter. That's, it's, they're, they're different, but they're both good. They're know? both D-Class amps. Just d- I don't d- know what D-Class means. Yeah, they're solid they're state amps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're class. They're, they have no tubes. Different, they have different no tubes. thing than transistor. Although Hendrickson does make an amp with a tube in it too. Mm-hmm. They have this thing called the Forte, which 
in the preamp circuit has tubes and you can use either like a uh, the pe type of preamp tubes that Fender uses, the type that Fox uses, the type, I mean, he's, you know, and then you can dial it in, you know, it's like a hybrid amp. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a solder sniffer. I'm just a guitar player. But um, the I'm, my point is Peter has done so much to, first of all, make sure we get great sound and shit that's easy to carry around. Second of all, he does his best to create community around the music and celebrate all of us that do it and all of us that make the so instruments. So, I mean, regardless, of course you should only pick equipment based on whether you like it or not. But this guy's given us a lot of reasons to at least check it out and see if you like it. This and in fact, in fact, the My Little Bud, the six-inch speaker Hendrickson, one, right? Henriksen, not Hendrickson. Okay. With an E, it's like the Norwegian or whatever. H-E-N-R-I-K-S-E-N. -E but that little six-inch thing, I was when I was getting my Dumble, I talked to Alexander, and I said, hey, man. He says, what are you, what are you mostly playing? And I says, well, you know, I, I got my Pro Reverb, I've got my... But mostly, really, when I pull shit out of my trunk, it's this bud. It's this light thing, you know, because I'm playing smaller gigs, and I don't need a lot of power. And he's really he says yeah it's like it's got a lot of power and it's really teeny and it weighs nothing he's you know and he was he's making a champ for a lot of guys he's it's got dumble. The, dumble does he has a champ that guys use in the studio you know obviously it could never be on a gig but it's a little teeny thing that you can carry in the studio it sounds great when you put a mic on it you know and he says oh really that sounds interesting and i said would you like to hear it <laughs> and he said yes well, to me, that's a big thing. I mean, I didn't think he'd want it in his house because it could pollute the other shit he's got or whatever, you know. I mean, I've heard the stories. And uh, he said, yeah, I want to see it. So I brought it in and I played it for him. And, and I gave, I put it down and he pulled out his guitar and he started playing with it and he started playing the notes. Of course, first thing he said, we played it, oh, solid state. You know, that's the first thing he said. I said, yeah. I said, but you know, yeah. And then he started turning the knobs and doing stuff and he was he really liked it wow. he said the thing I like about this that you don't get with all those other ones is like every knob when you turn something you get something right. mm -hmm. a lot of them like the knobs are almost like ornaments yeah. you turn them and nothing happens so what would you say the biggest difference is between this and the quilter uh, I would say for me that um, the Henriksen is more of a beautifully refined polytone type sound. Uh-huh. And the Henriksen is more of a solid state-ish version of a Fender sound. Uh-huh. It's more scoop. Do, do, do they both come with either like a head or, or a speaker uh, I, You know, I, I mean, you'd have to ask Peter what his suite of... Because of when you say six, you're talking about the size of the speaker, right? Yes. So, so this comes, it's like a little combo with a 10-inch speaker. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh -huh. uh, I don't know if, 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 if Hendrickson's are made with head. They used to be. Because the quilter I tried was a head. It just right, and, and the one you tried was the one I liked, which is the one I use, which is a Fender-type thing. Uh -huh. They also make a ton of combos that have various things that, gotcha. go, more, that go more towards what, what the polytone and the Hendrickson uh -huh. were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I might have inspired 
in a little ways the guys at Quilter and of course they can completely although they did sort of admit that yeah. on, on the thing it's like I was saying you know I'm looking for something that sounds like my Fender amp that I don't have to worry about it breaking in the tubes right, and carrying the weight sure. and so that 101 they made me was really to give me that and and in many ways it has I've uh -huh. used it in the studio I've used it in live gigs it's particularly that gig with Joel Taylor you know, a big boomy bar with a loud drummer. That quilt it really sounds great because mm -hmm. it's got it's real scoopy, so it doesn't give that mid-range punch that the guitar has. Mm -hmm. um, at a loud volume, it has a lot of control. Uh, but meanwhile, I mean, the Henriksen Dumble, he really approved of it. He says, "Wow, these guys mm -hmm. did some really great stuff." Yeah, that is unusual for Dumble to like anything that you know that's solid state. <laughs> He, no, but I mean, like, he, you, know, you know, for what it was, he understood yeah, that, and of cool. course, he liked it. I mean, I, I only wish I could have videoed him and sent it to Peter, but of course, it would have ended up on YouTube or something. So. Yeah, and then Dumble would have had a heart attack. Yeah, yeah, you know, but um, doesn't dig that kind of shit, right? And I, and that's why I didn't do it because I respect that. But yeah. um, uh, when was when was the last time you talked to him, Scott? We had a falling out, so, oh, we, right. so you guys I don't, we don't talk anymore. Right. Yeah. We had a falling out over a, a web site issue, you know, that I tried to help him, and he didn't try to help himself, which kind of pissed me off. And, and uh, I don't have anything against him other than he's super eccentric, and, and, and sometimes he takes people's good intentions the wrong way right. he, because he tends to sort of think that everybody's out to get him, which isn't really true at all. People just respect his work and, they, and a lot of people copy it. And just the fact that you cannot trademark electronics is why he has so many issues because he expects people to respect the, the 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 trademark laws which don't exist right and nobody's going to do that i mean you know you give somebody the opportunity to copy a circuit that everybody loves and they're going to copy it and, and, and that's just human nature and where i draw the line is when you start calling it a dumble because mm. your name's not dumble your name is i don't want to mention the guy's name but he right. was actually put a link to uh, the word Dumble on his website, so you know, he was actually stealing Dumble's family name to sell his amps, which I thought was wrong. And a lot of the fellow guitarists in LA, we all thought it was wrong, so we kind of pitched in and tried to talk this guy into giving up the name, and and he did, you know. So so that was all cool, but I th I'm just back to. The original thing I was saying is that the fact that you can't trademark a circuit makes it very difficult for some people to get along with others because, you know, you go steal someone's amp circuit, it's not legally theft. But they take it as yeah as theft. Right. Well, the, 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 the resolution of, of what you're talking about, I'm looking at right now on my phone, which is if you go to Dumble.com, there's a picture of Dumbledore there, and he says, Be gone! There is nothing to see here. <laughs> because he, like, did yeah. Dumble.com with his amps, and yeah. then you guys, thankfully, told, talked him out of it. 
and and I heard the story that he tried to give Alexander his, his the domain. Say mm -hmm. here, you want the domain? Just pay for it. It's yours. You mm -hmm. can have it. And he didn't want it. Yeah. So so the guy was caught in like being looked at as an asshole and and being talked yeah. talked out of the tree. So that was. And he's probably st he's obviously still paying. Yeah. He's still paying this guy, regardless of what you say. He's still paying for the site to say Dumbledore be gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? But but regardless, there are many guys in in the world that have copied Dumble Circuit and and his his uh, what do you call it the the something Tronics uh, Ultraphonics Ultraphonics you know that he does to preamps of Fenders and stuff and a lot of people have copied it and th the secret's out you know and and there's nothing Alexander can do to stop people from doing it. Um, why not just be grateful that people dig your work enough to, to it's flattery really you know I, I think there's enough people out there that, that would rather have an amp from him and are willing to pay for it coming directly for him from him because he's charging a lot of money to do his work still and I think he can make a good living from charging good musicians you know top dollar for yeah. his work yeah. that he doesn't need to worry about these little guys copying yeah. his stuff he doesn't yeah. need to worry about that uh, at all i don't think any more than i need to worry about someone stealing some of my licks they're welcome to them <laughs> it's like it doesn't matter yeah you know whatever it's just flattery when someone copies your shit Motion but, detected but, at the buckthorn. Oh, nice but he's <laughs> such a good guy i mean you know he really means this is well. weirding me out can you turn her off he, he means he really means unless you're expecting somebody at the buckthorn he really means well and he's a great guy but i think that he has let some of this some of this flattery which he should take it as flattery it takes it more as conspiracy like everybody's out to get him right and and that's not really true everybody loves the guy and respects him to death there's just no reason to think that they're out to get him. I don't think they're taking anything away from his profit margin because only the guys who can afford a real Dumble amp are going to come to Alexander Dumble and say, build me an amp. You better be able to afford it because yeah. he's not cheap. But it'd be, it'd be amazing to get him on the show, and I know Bruce has tried, but, I mean, after talking to Robin Ford, I mean, he said he's tried so many times over the years to do documentary, do a book, and, and Dumble will get so close, and then last minute he'll pull the pin and try away. He just doesn't, he's not a publicity-seeking kind of person, really, you know, yeah. at all. It just sucks, like, when he goes, we're going to lose all that amazing history that he could share. And, yeah, and he's yeah. one of the real pioneers of ant building yeah. for sure like and, and you anybody will attest to that john sir or bogner anybody will yep. all say yeah man dumble is one of the real pioneers of of, of ant making yeah and he really is but um it's just sad that he's that he's you know kind of a, he's kind of a recluse and and a, a little bit a bit eccentric yeah you know but so what, man? I mean, the guy's a—he's a, a genius, you know. Yeah. He's a—he's a, he's a he's great a genius, builder. and he is also—and this is something that I know he's eccentric, and a lot of people have had problems with him. I'm not going to say that, but that, that is not true. He is also one of the most generous, gracious people I've ever met. 
you know, and that, you know, when they talk about all the eccentricity and, like, because of one reason or another, you know, took a long time to get an amp or he was pissed off about something, I have seen how gracious and generous he can be. And I have, too. I have, too, because I've worked directly with him. He's building stuff for me. And though I've never owned a Dumble amp, but I have had him modify some of my Fender stuff. Yep. And he's been over at my house and listening to my music, and and he's just been a super sweet guy, you know, just like a yeah. great person and very uh, down-to-earth and did exactly what he said he was going to do for exactly when he said he was going to do it, you know. And I've heard some stories about him not coming through in time with gear, and who knows, that might be true. But in some cases, I have no knowledge of that whatsoever. Right. But I can just say, for me, he was like right on time. He did exactly what he told me he was going to do, and he was did a great job. So you know, I've got nothing but good things to say about him. And uh, yeah, I just wish he would. I, I just wish he was a little more <laughs> more normal. Well, no, no, I just I just wish he would hang. You know. You know, I was talking to somebody today about history. You know, it's like. How do they make history boring in school? I mean, think about it. A lot of people find history boring in school, you know. It's like, how can that be? I mean, every great person who makes all these, a guy like Dumble, you know, a guy and, and a million others like him are so, such interesting people. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think because we, we have to have paint them in black and white terms. They're either virtuous or they're evil. They're mm -hmm. either, you know what I mean? It's just like, here's a guy, the real thing, like, like Troy said, it's, there's so much, when I, when I was sitting there listening to him tell stories, I'm like going, God, this needs to be documented because this is the truth. We hear all this mythology because we want to paint somebody as virtuous or evil or, you know, like... A, a, an innovator or a follower and nobody really falls into any one of those categories mm -hmm. they're humans that do amazing things and and that's so fundamentally just the human side of it is so interesting and yet somehow we've learned to kind of just treat it as like sound bites and mm -hmm. easy assumptions yeah. that categorize things. Easy assumptions is the best way to put it because you and hear someone talk about Dumble and you're hearing a very small slice right. of and what the guy's really about. To hear this guy about. talk about him, him hanging with Leo Fender. Mm -hmm. To hear him talking about when he was playing in bands and like why he, why the genesis of why he wanted to find out mm -hmm. how to make an amp sound better. You know, from that. I mean, that is... No one even thinks about that. You know, all everybody thinks about that he goops his amp and he's like all pissed off at everybody and his amps cost tons of money and are they really that much better than an amp that costs... I mean, it's like, really, can we get down to the real truth here? Is this, There's this guy who... Every one of these amps sitting on this wall here, I'm looking at of Troy's studio, is because of Dumble in many ways. You can trace the DNA from all these guys back to that. Mm -hmm. and that's fucking amazing and that's interesting when you think about this guy and so I did, like my my regret if anything and I'm still working on him to try and get him to sit down with me is uh, 
those stories, I, why should I have been the only one to hear them? Everybody needs to hear those stories. Mm -hmm. They're important to all of us who, who are chasing this particular thing. You know, plugging, if you're plugging a guitar into an amp, this is important for you.
Thank <laughs> you. 